the single most important aspect of this facilitation methodology in terms of how it can shift leaders and help leaders day to day. And that is training yourself to suspend judgment, to decide I'm going to listen to understand, and that's it. Welcome to the IDOU Creative Confidence Podcast, a series focused on building your confidence at work to tackle your biggest creative challenges. Join us as we learn insights and lessons straight from IDEO and today's most impact-oriented design thinking leaders. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Creative Confidence podcast series. I'm Meg Rice, Lead Learning Architect at IDOU. Today, I'm talking with a great friend and collaborator, Dabney Haley, about facilitative leadership. Welcome, Dabney. Hi, Meg. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on, and I'm so excited to share everything we've got in store uh, for our audience today. Here's a little bit more about Dabney. Dabney has long been deeply motivated by the transformative possibilities that emerge when groups of people look at something together and collectively make sense of what they're seeing through dialogue. This passion first started in the art world, where she was a museum curator for 15 years. Since then, she's leveraged all that knowledge and know-how into her consulting firm, The Haley Group, where she focuses on organizational development and leadership. Now she works with a variety of clients, from Fortune 500s to nonprofits, all along the way, helping teams relate better to one another so that they can tackle their toughest challenges. In this conversation today, we're going to talk about a few things. At the highest level, we're going to talk about a process for facilitative leadership called visual thinking strategies. Visual thinking strategies, or VTS is how we will abbreviate it today, is a process that helps teams collectively make sense of something they're seeing. Along the way in this conversation, we'll talk about some misconceptions. Among them, the thought that having deep dialogue and discussion is not a productive action towards reaching our goals, which we'll learn through Dabney that that is very much not true. And as always, we'll give you tips and tools and techniques that you can apply right now to build a practice of facilitative leadership. And before we dive in, I have to just say that I've learned a lot of things in my career, a lot of different tools and techniques. And um, this has been the single most powerful tool that I've brought into my leadership toolkit. It has changed the way I interact with the teams I work with. It has changed the solutions we've gotten to. It's changed who I am as a person. So Dabney, thank you, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Meg. It is a delight to be here, and as always, to talk with you. <laughs> so visual thinking strategies, let's get one thing out of the way right up at the top here. I know that a lot of times when people hear this phrase, visual thinking strategies, they assume that the process will be something geared towards helping folks make their ideas visual. So maybe that's drawing or sketching, but that's not what this is, right? No, it's not. Thank you for starting there. Visual thinking strategies, or as you called it, VTS, we'll call it that for short. It's a discussion methodology. It was developed in art museums and is now applied in education, healthcare, and the business world. And that term visual thinking, which does for a lot of people evoke uh, sketching, it's actually borrowed from the title of a seminal 1969 book uh, by Rudolf Arnheim, the perceptual psychologist. And that book, 
Zuck, among many other, um, a lot of other deep research, was influenced the co-founders of VTS. And those two people were Philip Yenuin, an education uh, director at the Museum of Modern Art, and Abigail Hausen, a cognitive psychologist. They had a couple goals in mind. And, you know, it's funny to think about visual thinking as sketching because they were trying to make thinking visible <laughs> in some ways, but in the process of a discussion. One of them was to develop a raft of critical thinking skills, including metacognition or thinking about our own thinking. And at the same time, they aimed and succeeded, I think, in, in creating a discussion space in which everyone feels they belong and are empowered to make meaning. Um, so this, this is about visual literacy and collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. And I can attest to the inclusive elements of a really well-run visual thinking strategy session. I mean, it is equal opportunity, equitable participation, and it creates such a shift when that's possible. So now that we understand a little bit more about VTS and maybe some of its origins, let's move on to the overarching theme here. This is about facilitative leadership. So can you tell me what you mean by facilitative leadership and why this mode of leadership is effective? Well, let's start with thinking about how most people become leaders. They become leaders because they've been brilliant at executing in their particular discipline or arena, but often they want to continue that sort of uh, stance of a great person who can execute and succeed and solve, right? And one of the key things that uh, leaders need today, particularly in this very dynamic, complex, difficult world in which we are living, is how to framework as a learning process for their teams and be present without giving a solution. No one leader can know as much as a group of people who can listen to each other. And so a leader really, to me, a facilitative leader is, is that person who recognizes that kind of almost higher calling, uh, right, of, of stepping back and holding space and being rigorous um, for teams. So sort of stepping away from the command and control, I've got a right answer to, okay, I've brought all these amazing people together. It's my job to help them uh, collaborate, communicate, and um, test themselves in a lot of ways. And one thing you said in there that really stands out to me is, um, you know, one person can't have better ideas than a team that can listen to one another. And I think a lot of times we say, you know, uh, diversity of opinion in the room is helpful. But the thing you're adding here is, can you listen to one another? And I think VTS is really great at doing that. And so this is a little bit of a hard process to uh, explain without experiencing it. It's kind of in the in the famous words of IDEO's Bill Moggridge from many years ago, the only way to experience an experience is to experience it. And so with that in mind, uh, we're going to do a little visual thinking demo with all of y'all. The caveat to this, and I want to make this caveat really clear, is that visual thinking strategies to become a facilitator that it can achieve all these things like the inclusive element in the room and this ability to listen to one another takes a bit of work and takes practice. And so we're just going to create an abbreviated experience so, so you can just get a sense and have a bit of a mental model for the rest of the conversation. Um, but to gain the full benefit of a VTS, the process and to become a facilitator, you'd have to go deeper. And as you know, Dabney has a consulting group for that. So Dabney, will you help guide us through a little bit of a demo here? Sure thing, Meg. You know me, I, this is my favorite thing to do. <laughs> so just delighted to look with everyone. One, one quick frame before we get started, I'll share a work of art, everyone, and we'll look at it together for just a little bit. I think it would be great for everybody to be noticing what I'm doing 
um, as I as I lead for a few minutes, and then we'll pull back and think about how that might be a model for facilitative leadership. All right. Okay. So I am going to share a work of art. And for those of you who maybe can't see this or just listening, um, I'll identify it. It's a very famous work of art. It's by Vincent van Gogh, or van Gogh, as we say in English a lot. It's called The Starry Night. Um, It's a landscape. Um, And we will invite all of you to join the beginning of a VTS discussion now. The way that we always start visual thinking strategies conversations is quietly We give silence so that people can ground themselves in the image and begin to think on their own terms. Um, But because we're doing a podcast, we're just going to jump right in, right, Meg? And I thought, Meg, I could call on you to start. So what's going on in this painting? Well, what's going on here for me is I see weather and... I see like lots of rolling. Rolling keeps being the word weather, fluid, rolling. And and I even though it's called Starry Night and I know that, like I can't quite tell if, if people are awake or asleep. Okay, so landing right in a narrative and thinking both about very concrete elements like weather, time of day, or if people are awake or not, if you're imagining humans here, but also patterns visually across the painting. You mentioned rolling. Um, and what do you see, Meg, that makes you say rolling? And that 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 time of day, or, or that you there are humans implied, and that you can't tell if maybe they're awake or asleep. Mm-hmm. Rolling, I would say, because the, the there's such a fluid movement. Like it seems like there's like a big cloud or like weather pattern somewhere swirling right in the middle, drawing my eye. It's like these curls. Um, and then the hills below them also have a type of rolling quality. And I think all maybe because it's blue also is what lends to fluidity. The question you had about why I think I'm not sure people are awake or asleep is it seems like some houses here might have lights on and it might not be just a reflection from the moon. They might be awake doing something, but otherwise everything seems kind of sleepy. Like we don't see anyone. Thanks, Meg. So you're noticing, looking all across this painting, actually, there's a, there's a big sky for those of you who can't see it right now. And, and looking at the way that the sky has these spiral patterns, particularly here in the middle, and you're thinking about that idea of rolling or fluidity. So there's almost a kind of um, water-like motion to you. you. You see down a similar kind of rolling in the hills and in the lower part of the sky. And then there's another component of the painting, this, this little bit down here in the lower uh, foreground, and this is showing buildings and you're noticing lights that the yellow I'm pointing for everyone who who isn't um, able to see pointing is important during VTS and that makes you wonder are people awake or asleep you said you know it's called starry night but wondering maybe what what time of night or how this this world is inhabited by the people implied through the buildings down at the bottom thank you Meg what more can we find And I think we can probably shift over. And this is how things would continue to go. Dabney would ask us continually, what more would we find? We would provide more opportunity. And this is how you can imagine going around a group to generate a very rich dialogue. So again, this is just a short snippet. But Dabney, do you have a few questions for our audience? 
Yeah, I was wondering, how did all of you experience that brief snippet of VTS? Um, what happened in your thinking, uh, in your attention? Did you notice things maybe that you might not have noticed because of Meg's comments? What I'm hearing is a sense of being fully present to a discussion and a stimulus or painting that we looked at and letting go of a lot of um, expectations or certain kinds of behaviors as we're looking together. And I think those are very important parts of um, experiencing flow and wonder and thinking together at work effectively, at least. And facilitative leaders can create the conditions for this sort of attentive, thinking, openness, engagement, even pleasure to happen as we're working together. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying the conversation. Curious to know a bit more about IDOU? We're an online school that equips you with skills, mindsets, and tools to help you stay relevant and adaptive in our modern world. If you'd like to learn an adaptable approach to deliver stronger outcomes in changing conditions, I invite you to check out our new online course, Leading Complex Projects, which starts on July 8th. In it, you'll learn how to guide others through the inevitable ups and downs of complex projects by balancing logic and intuition. Find what motivates and engages each of your team members and establish a shared point of view to gain alignment. Check it out at idou.com backslash complex. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, it's not often that we get to spend time, I guess, thinking with each other, even though we're in the knowledge economy and most of us are knowledge workers, which would imply we do lots of thinking. But I, I think that we all feel inherently that that might not be the case all the time. And we'll talk a little bit about the difference between thinking and doing in a bit. So now that we've experienced a little bit of it, Demi, can you share some of the benefits or outcomes that you've seen in your client work with the VTS process? Yes, thanks, Meg. One of them is a great paradox that I really love, which is that this kind of process slows you down so you can speed up. <laughs> Most of the people I work with have a bias toward action. They're trying to produce and solve and create, and they want to do it quickly um, for clients, for themselves, for all kinds of reasons. But we really kind of shoot ourselves in the foot if we move so fast that we don't listen to everyone on the team, that we don't question the assumptions that we're making, um, if we don't take that time to take advantage, frankly, of all these amazing brains and lived experiences that we have at our disposal. So one of the beautiful things these VTS discussions can do is to help everybody actually be more robust. The analysis is rooted in evidence-based reasoning through VTS, and it's a great way to do both robust analysis, but also to create psychological safety for everybody. Um, you can speed things up by knowing that you've made your team, everyone on the team feel they belong and they matter. Yeah, it's that it's alignment piece, right? To know that you can be involved, you you have a voice in this, and that no one's treated differently. One thing you would see uh, to the audience out there if we continued the BTS discussion is that Dabney's questions are always the same. She will ask the same questions of everyone. Um, nothing will change about that. And so that's a big component to the psychological safety and the inclusion. And that go slow to go fast is very much a little bit of an IDEO thing too. We talk about that when it comes to prototyping or doing some design research, right? It's coming together so that we can make sure we have that shared understanding and leap forward collectively 
from there. I know you have some nascent research from a very different field than business um, and the art world where this has been applied and been effective. Can you tell us a little bit about that research? Absolutely. Uh, Visual thinking strategies has been taught within medical education and healthcare for almost 20 years. And and actually that work inspired me to bring this method to the business world. There have been uh, several studies over the years, mostly on healthcare teams or for um, with with burgeoning physicians and medical education context and nurses. And one of the important kind of overall findings is that participating in these discussions can increase what we call comfort with ambiguity. It's also called navigating uncertainty. And this is really, really interesting and important because it turns out that discomfort with ambiguity or the inability to navigate uncertainty is connected with misdiagnosis. So if we can help people hold themselves and other people in a longer, deeper process of looking thinking, gathering evidence, listening to each other, listening to patients, listening to patient families, um, going down all kinds of avenues or lines of thought as they are building the right answer, the correct diagnosis, that right answer is better and more robust and you will help people more. So again, it's that, it's that wonderful paradox of be rigorous, go slow, and you will actually go faster in the end and ha- and help someone um, more effectively when you're in that healthcare space. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the research we did when I was um, working on leading complex projects, which is actually when I first met Dabney. And leading complex projects is one of our courses. And our brain really does love that certainty. So when we find an answer, we're like, okay, great. And so what VTS helps us do is create more space for the complexity of the issue, which is there are many right answers. And we can't just stop at the first one that feels right, right? Because it could be a bias. It could be, you know, a filter that we're putting on something. So the more that we collectively explore, create space for that ambiguity, we can build a comfort with it. And we can know that we will arrive at a collective answer. Yes. And Meg, just to say, I want to reinforce a really important point you just made, which is this is about bias mitigation, all kinds of biases. And, And it's about not reaching consensus too fast. It's about helping ourselves be more resilient um, and tackle com- complexity and this dynamic changing world that we're living in um, with more rigor and exuberance and often delight in each other <laughs> as we're doing. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It's better. It's better to go together and to go alone. I mean, that's that's for sure. So um, let's let's create this this connection here, because this is something I mentioned up at the top, this idea of like, what is productivity? I think sometimes we feel like if we're not tangibly making process on the work, you know, oh, I've I've written five more pages today, or like now we have a V1 of our solution. Like if we're not doing that, we're thinking we're not making productive strides towards the finish line. Um, Some people confuse this conversation with like non-productivity, unproductivity. What would you have to say to to that type of misconception or when you encounter that in your facilitation, in your consulting practice? I help people reframe thinking together as an active process of working and achieving. (laughs) It's really important to understand that. You are still getting so much done. And sitting quiet, even sitting quietly and silently and thinking is getting work done. Um, listening to each other is getting work done. Um, it is productive. 
There are so many different types of thinking that we need to surface and ways of making meaning. And I find, Meg, and and we certainly have found this together, and and this happened a lot at IDEO, that if you have a note taker during a VTS discussion, you end up with all kinds of action items, research questions, next steps, things that we're missing. So it's more productive than it seems. We're just not used to behaving this way. Yes, the norms certainly aren't there. And I think you even just reframed my question because I said talking and you were like thinking together. And so I think it's the point here is to remember we are thinking together by way of looking and discussing. Yes. And we we do this with all kinds of materials, right? We, we always start with art because it's amazing and human and a huge part of how we make meaning of the world. We make it through the arts. But we apply this to all sorts of work materials too. So there's a lot of different kinds of stimuli that you can use to help your team learn and grow. And just to circle back to where we started, the facilitator of these discussions is actually helping everybody grow in their thinking. I can't emphasize that enough. Each VTS discussion is an arc of learning We're understanding each other's perspectives. We're gaining new evidence for the conclusions we're drawing or we're discarding ideas that don't stick. This is a a process of growth. It's not stagnant. And that's why it's productive too. Yeah, and then after a VTS discussion, you might have the alignment or the, the collective understanding you need to consider decisions or to even make a decision. It's not that we make it through VTS, but that we surface through VTS, right? And and I've seen a variety of examples, but Dabney, like what are some of the high level categories of professional visual stimuli you've seen used for facilitating VTS? Designs of all kinds, particularly um, designs that are formed enough that the designer or team feels that they're getting somewhere, but they might need some other perspectives. All kinds of user feedback, user experience feedback. You can, you can. by the way, everybody, we can apply this methodology to text, to data. I have seen it applied to code by people who understand code, which I don't particularly. <laughs> but um, there are many things. Also a strategic plan you can apply VTS to. You can look at a mission statement. You can look at your competitors' marketing materials. You can look at analogous uh, examples of things for what, what I'm trying to say here is uh, adjacent materials. And I know that's a big part of human-centered design. For example, I was working with a financial services company and they were trying to convey a sense of wellness in the financial arena. And so we looked at a lot of Weight Watchers materials because they had just launched a big wellness campaign. So we used VTS to understand what wellness was in another arena. Um, it can be used to solve. It can be used to understand. It can always be used to bring people together and explore um, and service insights that we wouldn't have thought of before. And Meg, that's something that that you helped me learn, actually, as we've done VTS together, that it can be really thrilling as a leader to know, okay, let's let's take on this process. I'm going to lead this discussion and I will get nuggets. I don't know what they are, right? I don't want to predetermine. I have all these smart people. I have a great thing to look at. Let's see where they go. Right. And that's a facilitative stance. Yeah, and I think you can think about it from the buckets of like what types of stimuli do you use? I mean, the method and the moment you're talking about um, with me is I often like to use VTS in a place where I think that our understanding might pivot 
from where we came from, that I might have some new user insight or a piece of data that might cause our team to shift. And I think VTS is really great for doing that because I, as the leader, don't have to create the shift for the team. Number one, like I don't have to come in and say, hey, all like everything is going to change now. Instead, I get to put the stimulus up, see what they notice. If they see the change that I saw, then we move forward and we, we're now in alignment. It wasn't like a big pivot for them because they connected the dots for themselves. And if we don't make that pivot, it's because they saw something I didn't see. So it's a little bit of both and. I le there's room for me to be wrong about what I saw. And then there's a lot of flexibility for me to create space for others to connect the dots similarly and see that change and not have that friction of the pivot. You know, so it's also like when, when you think about when does it help us all to think together and see from all these different angles, you'll find a variety of different use cases. And now we're going to get a little bit more tactical because we're kind of in that vibe. So let's talk about those tools and tactics that we can use every day. And we said to be a full, you know, full VTS facilitator is a bit of practice. You quickly learn that as a leader, you're not used to reserving all judgment and being out of the conversation. But some of the things that stand out to me when I think about the, the things we can apply anywhere, this question of, you know, what's going on this, in this picture and what more can we find? Right. I know VTS language is very important. There's also this concept of building self-awareness as a leader, the awareness to listen and then be able to paraphrase, which is something you were doing for us earlier. And this idea of withholding input and the bias that facilitators might have as well. And something we didn't get into is VTS creates space for silence. Like look at something without feeling the need to talk about it for a couple of minutes. So these are things that jump out to me as possible tools and tactics we could drop into our everyday. Can you talk a little bit about those? Absolutely. Let's talk about the questions, especially the question you just quoted, what more can we find? Which I think is a crucial question for facilitative leaders. If we want people to think more deeply, be more innovative, um, hear each other, then we have to keep them looking and thinking and not landing yet. What more can we find is very carefully worded within the VTS methodology. For example, we don't ask, um, I'd like you to talk about X now. <laughs> we don't ask, um, what else even? Because else signals, okay, there's something I as a leader want you to say and you haven't said it yet and I'm fishing for it. Um, we simply say, what more can we find? We are in this together. You have found a lot. We can find more. My role as the leader right now is to say, you're not finished yet. You're amazing, but you're not finished yet because there's more that we could do. Um, very specific wording there. And Meg, you put your finger on, I think the single most important aspect of this facilitation methodology in terms of how it can shift leaders and help leaders day to day, even without doing the full VTS method. And that is training yourself to suspend judgment. Um, to hold it over here, to decide, I'm going to listen to understand. And that's it. <laughs> Which it sounds so simple, but honestly, it's one of the hardest things. <laughs> right. So I will listen to understand. And if I'm really in it, I will paraphrase to demonstrate that understanding. And in that paraphrase, I'll try to 
identify the type of lens or thinking I'm hearing. I will use conditional language to keep this idea open and provisional. I will seek evidence if I need it by asking, what do you see that makes you say that? I will give it back to the whole group so that they can all consider this, whether or not they agree with it. It's very, um, very complicated cognitively to take this stance. So I'm always telling the leaders I work with, you know, I know that you have a lot of right answers in your head and that you have a good question, you think, but this is higher level work, right? Attending to a group this way, listening just to understand, give back, link ideas, notice thinking, be attentive to a full conversation. That is kind of maximal facilitative leadership. And it will, that is that is key to the whole go to slow to go fast process. It's really important. So if everybody takes only one thing from our podcast today, I hope it's that idea of maybe I should just not decide what I think yet and make sure I understand first. Mm-hmm. And I want to like one of the first VTS sessions I ever participated in, it was, I would say the first 10 minutes in that I had one of the most massive revelations of, of my professional life, which is that judgment is also in the form of, that's a great idea. I love that idea. So when you're a facilitator doing a brainstorm and you're, you, of course, we, we learn that we don't want to say, oh, that's a bad idea. We shouldn't do that. Um, and we know that is judgment. But we also have to think about judgment as if I'm facilitating, I'm like, oh, Dabney, that's a great idea. But then when I go to somebody else, I'm like, oh, great. Or, Thanks for that idea. Right? I create this difference. And when you didn't give any judgment, positive or negative, as a facilitator, the shift in my mind that happened was I was no longer, and I'm, I'm willing to admit this, I was no longer contributing for the facilitator's approval. I no longer wanted her to say, that's a great question. Oh, I'm so glad you noticed that about the painting. And I started contributing to my peers as like, I'm going to say something. I don't know what, what so-and-so is going to do with this. Let's see what the team does with this comment, right? And then it became much more of a gift to others rather than me trying to have validation about whether or not I'm right or wrong. And, you know, and so these shifts happen in our minds. Honestly, I've seen it coaching with you now that people just have this aha moment, even the second they try to facilitate for the first time and they stop and they're like, oh, I can't stop thinking my own thoughts. (laughs) Yes. And there's a dynamic that, that this process can help build understanding about and, and help teach us to hold both parts of this dynamic, which is you're the facilitator sometimes, and sometimes you're the participant. And we become hyper aware through learning BTS of what it means to really be heard and and how much we like it (laughs) and how wonderful it is to access our colleagues' thinking. And so by participating and going through the the, um, process that you're describing, Meg, where where you realize I've been looking for validation when really I just want to be in this discussion now and being part of it is being validated, right? Yes. So we learn that when we learn to facilitate this way, that's the experience we're offering to other people. It's great. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So we kind of go back and forth. How do you, how do your colleagues experience you as you're working together and how do they experience themselves as you're working together? Mm-hmm. We can really help dive into those, th- those two questions and improve both. Yes, yes. And again, the, the nuance on this is that uh, it does take a good amount of training to become a full, full-fledged VTS facilitator. We're sharing some mindsets or tips that might help, like conditional language, you know, holding space. 
But do you have a model for how a facilitator would run a meeting? Like, how would you, like, what are the agenda, the guiding principles for something like this? Sure. I would say, especially if you want to use this kind of process, have a stimulus to look at that matters. Have that strategic plan or the design and process that everyone's working on and needs to think about. So pick something relevant to this group that matters to them and that they'll have things to say about. You might start your meeting by putting it up on a screen where everyone can see it and let everybody think, imagine. <laughs> so just be quiet. Silence is, is a part of the VTS methodology. Um, and then even if you don't really know VTS and all the questions, keep it open. Uh, give everyone space to speak. Paraphrase when you can. Take responsibility for staying in inquiry. What more can we find? What more can we find? you'll have a much more productive meeting with, with more um, excited participants, extroverts and introverts, people up and down the hierarchy. Staying in inquiry with what more can we find really ensures that um, you can create a level playing field in that meeting. Yeah, and I think if you have like loud voices in the room, the facility, like when you are a well-versed in facilitating, you do get into this, I'm gonna paraphrase what so-and-so just said before, I know you have something to say, but let me paraphrase. So you're attending to, to each person and saying like, hold on for just a moment and then shifting. And I think also in the question around the introverts, you don't have to necessarily speak in this room to have the benefit of seeing all the multiple perspectives come to life and also having that impact on your mind and how you're thinking and interacting with your team. So I think that's another thing to think about. It is safer for everyone um, to participate. And also if you don't, you're still seeing so much happen around you, right? Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that back too, to being safe, to psychological safety. Um, a core definition of that is creating a climate in which everyone feels they can speak up and offer a different kind of idea. It's more complex than that, but mm -hmm. um, that's a core definition. And there are important parts of that. Climate means an environment. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, you have a huge responsibility and in intentionally creating an environment in which people feel they can participate and speak up and that mm -hmm. the loudest voice isn't the one that always carries the day. VTS offers a really robust armature to help make that happen because it does not happen naturally. <laughs> we yes. have to really create those conditions and, and it's very rewarding to be in that position of creating the conditions. Right. Like this goes back to facilitating, like the environment facilitates certain behaviors, enables certain behaviors, doesn't direct or uh, require, but it promotes, facilitates. This, this is all connected. Dabney, I have enjoyed this so much, as I always do with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, we've been talking to Dabney Haley about facilitative leadership using the process of visual thinking strategies. If you want to learn more about Dabney, please check out the Haley Group um, and her consulting practice. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, you might also like our course, Leading Complex Projects, where you will learn how to balance logic and intuition to guide others through the inevitable ups and downs of complexity. And we'll also talk about um, collective sense-making in that course as well. And I get the last question, Dabney, what advice do you wish you had received when you were just starting out in your career or what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, okay. So younger Dabney, <laughs> I have a lot of <laughs> advice for her, but. Sit down, um, Dabney, let me talk to you. <laughs> in those moments, 
when you're not feeling heard, younger Dabney, when you feel you're not understood, instead of emphatically reiterating your idea, which is what I used to do because I was passionate, take a breath and sit with this person that you think isn't hearing you and ask them with genuine curiosity, what have you experienced or what do you see that makes you say what you're saying? Because asking and listening doesn't mean you automatically agree important point, right, that we didn't cover. It just means you're trying to understand. And I wish my younger self had understood that stance a little better. Yes. If we all try to understand, then we all can remember a cue to curiosity. Rather than shutting down, we can ask that question. What do you see that makes you say that? What have you experienced? And again, that doesn't mean we agree. I love that. I'm going to take that advice now. So thank you, uh, younger Dabney, for being in the position you were in. You've helped us all. Thank you, current Dabney, for helping all of us today and countless others in, in the world. That's the wrap on our Creative Confidence podcast. We'll see you next time, y'all. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you like what you're hearing here, you can find so much more by subscribing to the Creative Confidence podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. We're excited to keep fueling your creativity.